As I search for the white dove, I wonder if she searches for me. Or if my hopes of finding her are nothing more than an ill-conceived fantasy. You see... Salutations, mortals, and welcome to From the Jump. Today, we have a special guest that I know is going to rock the building, all right? This man is so intense that the first time I saw him DJ, I, I kind of actually just lost the entire night that night at Zula. But Akio, yo, man, thanks for doing this. And oh. please let these people know who you are before I, you know, go crazy. <laughs> uh, it's all good, man. It's uh, DJ Akio, formerly known as DJ ID. So when I'm trying to talk about what I do, man, first and foremost, I do a lot of things, but it always starts with the DJing, man. The DJing is always at the top. That's what I do. And then all the other things kind of stem from it. So I do a lot of events, uh, events promoting, um, consulting kind of on youth culture and uh, trends. And I've also like managed artists. I've those are really the main things, man. But also all, all types of different stuff within the music industry, man. Like I try and be like a, a tastemaker and a plug, like put things together, you know, always kind of have my hands in different things behind the scenes. But first and foremost, DJ, always. Yeah, the love of the music. The love of the music is where it's oh. at. And, 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 and I was actually going to get to that. I'm, I'm glad you actually brought that up. You literally wear so many different hats, you know, from managing, and not small artists. It's not like you were managing like, you know, some obscure talent that nobody knows of. You've managed yeah. some some really hard hitters. I mean, the KO, the the, the cool out parties that I've been to. Let I'm, I, I can't put that out on video, but let's just say they were ridiculously wild. Like I mean, from I, I remember as Black Volcanite, we performed, uh, we opened for Loop Troop at one of your your events as well, um, and yeah. and one of your events got me fired from one of my my first jobs. What happened? Ah, uh, shit. I actually never wanted to tell the story. So, uh, basically, what happened was... Black Volcanite was performing at, uh, I think it was uh, Most Wanted, or one of, one of the shows. I can't remember which one it was. And I was working, and I had no more leave days. So, you know, I flew in on the weekends... And then, you know, or drive, or I drive up from Namibia all the way to Cape Town just to do whatever we had to do for, the, for that How weekend. How far is that now? It's about 1,448 kilometers, right? Something around there. So yeah. how many hours is that? Uh, if you drive at the speed limit, most people do it in like 15 to 16 hours. I do it in about 12. Okay. All right. Yeah, so like, you know, you do it how you do it. I just, it's because I don't stop a lot. But anyway, that's, that's besides the point. So... Uh, after I realized I didn't have any more, you know, leave days and the show was coming up and I was like, I can't miss the show because Mark was, wasn't going to be able to make it. Ali was going to be alone. And we're like, we're booked as BV. We can't just be one dude. So, you know, that night was wild though. Hey man, I enjoyed myself. It was what I got tonight. I got this tattoo as well. And then I got back and then, you know, the job was like, yo, you need to bring your passport and that. Come, come to the to HR. <laughs> damn. damn, damn, damn. But how they know? Was it because you missed work? Because back in those days, we didn't have like Instagram story or anything. So it's not like you said you couldn't come in and the next Facebook, thing you know, you're 
just out here like Fa- facebook and- got me you know the, the event was 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 publicized you know and like okay um, yeah and people were like wait but it says here and what, what, what and then it was that you know but I, I, it is what it is i mean back then the amount of money i made for that 15 minutes i was on stage is just doing poetry yeah. I made my entire month's salary. So I was like, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> exactly. I remember those most wanted parties too, man. We went in with the, um, with the marketing. Remember we did the whole photo shoot yeah. with like the suspects. Like um, we had posters all over town. Yo, I miss those days, man. Holding, like holding the sign, you know, with your, your number on it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That shit was crazy, now, man. Now speaking, speaking of events to that magnitude, like yeah. the... the The fact is you guys really pulled off some some stuff that has never been seen before, you know. And exactly. can can you tell us a bit more about the driving force behind wanting events like these like like most wanted like KOL events to come through? Did it come more from it just not being there or was it a, a driving force of like look man, this is what we want and this is what we're going to do? I, th- I think from the beginning, man, from the beginning cool out started as uh filling a lack, filling a void. Because, you know, Cape Town had always been kind of like the center of what was considered real hip-hop. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, Joburg was Joburg, but Cape Town was always like hip-hop in its purest form. And when I first moved there in 2007, 2008, like, you know, every, every scene is like ebbs and flows, you know what I'm saying? High peaks and valleys. Yeah. And when I got there, it was like just after the end of... Um, before Zula was the lounge and Reiko and Hama were doing stuff there. And yeah. then there was all, they were also doing stuff at, um, um, what, what's it called? Uh, Mercury. All of that shit died and everybody was moving into like, that's when Cybot left hip hop and started doing glitch. Uh-huh. Waiting room was uh-huh. bullshit. Marvel turned into like super commercial and there was no like real, what we thought, what we considered was real hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Like for the heads. Back in those days, like for me, I remember like, if you're ahead and you want to hear some shit that you liked, you had to go to some grimy ass spot in like, Bob's, you know, <laughs> those places that you go to in the winter and you'd still have to keep your jacket on. Shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you know, um, one of the things that I've always tried to do is like, take the, the, the type of music that we liked, which wasn't always like commercial, I mean, we're obviously more commercial now, but like, but put them in commercial spaces, you know what I'm saying? So what we did is we took what we considered real hip hop, old school, alternative beats, and then we put it in waiting room, which at the time, people don't realize it now. People go to waiting room now and think it's like hella diverse. But back in 2008, man, waiting room, waiting room was straight up white. Like, you yeah, know what I'm saying? And then, yeah, so we brought a black and color crowd there, started doing hip hop, and they didn't even know that we were doing hip hop. So they're like, all right, cool. I went to present to them. They said, what do you want to do musically? And I knew they wouldn't let me do hip hop because they were anti-hip hop. Yeah. So I gave, so I made a mix and it was all like instrumental stuff. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, stuff. You know what I'm saying? And I submitted it to them that, like that. And then they're like, yo, this is dope. So then we made, we started doing it. They gave us the first Wednesday of the month. And then we slipped in the open mic um, because that was, an, oh, that was another thing. Um, back in the day at Zula, they used to have this thing called Um, what was the name of that party? I can't remember the name of the party, but it was like an open mic situation for poets and stuff like that. And I remember I went to it and there was this dude outside like asking everybody for money. It was like 40 Rand to get in or something like that. And he was like, yo man, can I borrow five Rand to get in? I just got, I just got this poem I want to say, but I don't have any money to get in. 
Damn. So when we start with Cool Out, Cool Out Lounge and Waiting Room, if you remember, man, Cool Out Lounge, all we did it from 2008 to 2012, four years, free for four years. We never charged true. a rand, which was like, looking back on it, we fucked up. But at the same time, it was never about the money in those days. It was just about the love. But so my thing, thing is like, because if somebody wants to, to rap and get on the open mic, they shouldn't have to pay. They shouldn't have to like pay to like say what they want to say. So we made it free. And then like one of the lessons I've learned, because back then, I was new to the industry. I didn't know anything, man. Cool Out Loud the Waiting Room was the first gig that I, I like really, really run. I mean, I'd done some stuff in Amsterdam and in Japan and shit, but like really, run. that was just like for fun as like a student. So I kind of learned. And one of the things that I learned, one of the, the, the advice that I give to people coming up is like, you don't want to give anything you know, for free, like at the beginning. Um, because the thing is, is like, once you give something for free, then you want to start charging people don't want to start paying for something that they already got for free. They've, you've already diminished the value, no matter how good the product is, you know what I'm saying? So my thing is, is like, always, even, even if you want all your people to get in for free, even if you have a hundred person guest list, still make it 50 Rand, a hundred Rand at the door and just make a huge guest list and keep those people, let, let them to come in. But at the same time, people will know from the beginning, they'll be conditioned to know that your shit is a hundred Rand to get in. You know what I'm saying? They're, exactly. they're not like, Thing is like if you charge if it's free or anytime you raise the price and we've done that like with cool uh cooling in the city that we did on the rooftop yeah, like we have that where we raise the price but every price rate raise that we've done has always come with a visual upgrade you know what i'm saying uh, got you got you now we're charging 80 but then you walk in the sound system is twice as good mm -hmm. You walk in and we fixed up the blunt room. You know what I'm saying? Like it's all like completely redecorated. So every time that I've done like a price increase, I've made sure that there's something noticeable that you've seen. And that's justified. You know and, and, that you're getting a better deal. And that's like, and that's the difference, you know? It's not just the thing about, okay, cool. Uh, it's, it's another year, people are coming through to the party. People, we're known so we can increase the price. It's literally a thing of, let me give them a little bit more value, you know? Keep them yeah. coming back. And yeah, I'm increasing the price, but I'm also not doing an astronomical figure. And and this exactly. brings me to another thing. As you actually already answered one of the questions I was going to ask you, which was, you know, if you had somebody that, that was coming up and that you could give advice to, what would it be? And that is perfect advice. Never undervalue yourself from the jump. I, I totally yeah. agree. You know, if you tell people from the beginning, yeah, it's free, they're going to be like, when you say it's a, it's a grand now, they're going to be like, oh, come on, bro. Come on. Yeah, I know exactly. how it is, man. <laughs> Yeah, so here's like another thing that we started doing as well. Like we just started this new event called Stress Free last year. Um, and what we started with that is we started doing pre-sold tickets. And again, just because we want to condition people from the beginning to know that there's pre-solds because we want to get to a point where, because the space only fits like 250 people. So we want to just do pre-solds from the beginning. So even the first event we sold like 30 pre-solds you know what i'm saying we still had 250 people 30 pre-solds next event 50 pre-solds and another thing that we do is all our guest list we don't we don't we make we don't make a list at the door everything is issued through free tickets complimentary tickets that are emailed so again it just kind of conditions this whole nice. ticket system you know what i'm saying and also it just like allows us to well one thing like the door can we, can we talk about uh hand running the door and get in it so for me, there's a couple jobs that everybody should have at some point in their life mm -hmm. one is everybody should be like a waiter or a waitress because you just like build character but the other thing that everybody in there should be at one point in their life is a door girl 
because if you're weak or if you are trusting at, at the doorbell, you will get walked all over. Everybody will hustle you, man. Like that hard, quick. You will learn. You will learn. You will walk away from your first day as a door girl. And when I say door girl, I mean that yeah. either gender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You will walk away from that shit having less respect for human beings. Straight up and you down. Will, <laughs> people will stoop to save 50, 40 red. <laughs> and people will come up with the most elaborate lies oh i know this person i know that person oh akio said this da, 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 just to save 20 rand i don't know what it is nope it, it's just a human thing i swear it's like a thrill thing it's like a thrill thing you know they're like people, so like you, people want to like, i did it you can't take shit from nobody what your name ain't on the list sorry i don't care i don't care if you know akio whatever your name ain't on the list so, but so a lot of things that we do now is like we issue these tickets, these bro doesn't even have to check because that's another thing. Is like yeah. we have a list that gives an opportunity for people to hustle because they'll be like, I don't see you. Then they'll be looking on the list like, uh, the list. oh, there I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, down yeah. The entry. I'm right there. <laughs> I, I won't lie. I mean, we've all pulled that move at least once where you're like, no, no, no. My name is Bob. I'm Bob right yeah. over there at the bottom, you know. And, yeah. and and as you say, this is a thing of continuously innovating as things move and as we progress throughout the industry to realize, hey, look, man, that guest list thing, it doesn't work the way we used to. We got to upgrade right. and people have gotten, you know, they've, they've caught on to how, how to work with it. Now, I would ask, you know, because you have, as you, as you just alluded to, you've played Amsterdam, you've played so many venues. Like, I, hmm. I don't even think you remember all of them. But of the ones that you can remember, where is your favorite place to have played? Like, out of all of them, where is your favorite um, place? I think, I mean, I can tell you, like, right now. So, okay, like, the way that I, I went with my career was, like, about four years ago. Okay? I think it was, like, 2016, when that was when I quit management. So at that time, I was managing uh, Reason, Loot Love. Uh, we were doing some stuff with Ginger Trill. I mean, I was cool out, not so much me specifically, but at one point, 2017, I, I gave them all 30 day notice because I was gonna focus on my own shit. Because for a long time, and I had cool out going, and then once I started uh, managing Reason, that was cool because we, we, did, we did a great thing with this career, but at some point I was also just like, you know what, man? I didn't get into this. Um, for this. For somebody else. No, yeah. it's, it's been a dope time. But at some point, man, it's like, yo, I, got, I still want to do this for myself. So I decided I was going to focus on my own shit. And then as a DJ, that's also like when DJing blew the fuck up. Like 2012, once PC DJ came in, and, and, and also the middies. When uh, middies became readily okay. available, everybody became a DJ. You know what I'm saying? Like, everybody started DJing. So back in the old days, you remember back in the old days, whenever you'd go to a spot, there'd be five DJs. And all five you knew. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, straight up and down. You would show up at nine o'clock because the nine o'clock DJ was a big name. He might have a gig later on, but you knew, yo, there, I, I remember back in the day, we would show up for the nine o'clock DJ because they used to play dope shit and they knew how to, to build sets. But, yeah. the nine to 10 would be like the down tempo, but you'd hear like the shit that you listen to at home, but ain't necessarily bangers, you know, and, and you would progress it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the lineups would be st stacked. Everybody was dope. And then once like the middies and shit came in, like you'd have like one name on it and everybody else would just be people that played at home, influencers, you know what I'm saying? 
What was that bar's name? Like right down, like I think it was underneath waiting room. Like it was like a small bar, but like all of a sudden, oh, everybody was DJing there in like 2008, 2009. Under waiting room. Like just underneath waiting room, but just before it, like as you're coming up Long Street. I can't remember its name, man. What was it? I think there's a food place there now. I think there's a burger joint or something there now. Uh, it was really tiny, really, really tiny spot, man. Oh, man, I can't remember his name. But it, it, it just alludes back to what you're saying, you know, the, the fact that at, at one point, everybody was like, I can do this DJ thing now. I've, I've got yeah. a little bit of the equipment. I've seen people do this. I'm going to hit it up, you know. And that 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 actually brings me to my next question. Yeah. Akio, like from what I know about you, you're one of the most calm, reserved people. Like I've never, in, and I, I think the first time I met you, it's 2008, 2000, I think it was about 2008 or something. And I've never seen you get angry at somebody, blow up at somebody, none of that, you know? Yes. What is your one pet peeve that you literally never show anybody, you never react to, but it pisses you the fuck off? It's like, you never tell people yeah. this, but it's like... Within the industry, mm -hmm. I would say it's professionalism. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, and it's also just like, I guess the older I've gotten, like the less patient I have gotten, like I'm still hella patient and I don't really blow, but like, I've gotten like less patient with like rappers and stuff. So I think it's like a profession, a professionalism um, uh, type thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, and also respect, you know, um, the only time I think I've really gotten into issues like at my events is when I felt that there were people disrespecting like my team or something like that. You know, like when I have to get called over and like someone's out of line and disrespecting my team. I think that that's, um, one of the things I don't like. So it's like professionalism and, uh, and disrespect because like, you know, for for me, um, you know, like I've played like the long game in terms of like where I'm at in this industry, man. I've been in this industry. I started 2008 Cool Outs, 2020. Like up until Corona, man, I was like having my best year ever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I just literally just got back from a three-week tour in Thailand playing in Tanzania. I was booked in Dubai going back to Thailand and had something in Kenya. You know what I'm saying? It's like, the long game and the reason for that is it's like you play it straight up man like tell people even if they don't want to hear it like what if you got beef like be straight up with them yeah. always pay your debts um you know especially the people that came before me i always show respect unless they've disrespected me or been, uh, not cool to me like the people that came before me man i always pay respect to them because like in the same way that the kids are making more money than me because of the shit that i've done yeah, like the yeah. people that were at me most of them outside of like ready d like didn't make any money, you know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. like if it wasn't for them, um, you know, the people in my generation wouldn't have been able to make it. So always trying to uh, be as respectful as possible. Um, so I think that's it for me, man, being disrespectful and, and not being professional. I think, I, I think I don't like it when people come into this industry entitled, like me, I'm a big pay dues. Like, and I get it, man. Like it's not, it's not the same time period like uh, as for us, like back when we were coming up, man, it took years, you know? Now it's like, because of the internet and stuff like that, kids can pop off quite quick without paying dues. And I'm not even trying, I'm not even that old guy. It's like, oh, they still must this and that. But, you know, I do appreciate um, the people that, because even some of the kids come in very respectful, understand this and this and this. But like, like you know, sometimes I think some people come in who, who haven't made it, but are entitled and think they don't have to pay dues. You know what I'm saying? No, I agree with you. I agree with you totally. And and, and I, I am one of those people that, that truly believe as well that, you know, paying dues, it's, 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 it's more so giving respect for those that, that took the leap to pave 
enough of a way for you to follow yeah. or to see exactly. you, could, you could move in, you know? It's not really a thing of, you know, as, as today it is, oh, it's dick riding, you're dick riding this person. Nah, bro. Sometimes it's really just being about like, you know, look, the, the shit you've done has allowed me to get to where I am. It's allowed me to see a path. And in that, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying thank you. You know, I, I don't think that... It's also like putting in the work. So I'll give you a good example of, a, of, of someone from the new generation who's paid dues. Like Youngster, for me, yeah. paid dues. Because I saw him, man. We were the one of the first people to book him. Because I saw him at the Nikki's Festival. That dude was doing shows everywhere. Everywhere. 500 bucks. Everything. Working with everybody. That dude paid dues. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like before, yeah. he, he still hasn't even popped off to the extent that he could. Like for me, you know that Drake line, I'm a rookie and a vet. To me, that's Youngster. I'm just like, the dudes are like... I mean, I guess he's not that young anymore. He's like 20, isn't he like 27, 28 now? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. like he's, he's turning 20, I think he's turning 28 at the end of this year. Um, yeah, so. But but you, you're totally correct in that. I mean, look at look at how he did his his come up, right? Youngster released yeah. like how many mixtapes before he actually oh. like, it was ridiculous. He just oh, kept pushing crazy. him out. Pushing him out. So to me, that's like, yo, he paid dues. You know what I'm saying? So I'd, I guess that would be my answer. Yeah, no. And, 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 and I agree with you, you know, there are certain artists in this industry that I've personally met that have never been ones to be like, you know, they let their ego get the best of them. They're never trying to really step on anybody's toes. It's not that they take shit from anybody. It's just, you know, they know who they are and they're not trying to, to, to deviate from that. And in that, I would also like to say, so since you've worked with so many, uh, man, and then when I say so many different artists, I know you've worked with the likes of Ill Skills, down to and i'm talking about on different projects i mean uh that first that first uh kol um uh, cool out lounge that we did with youngster as well you know the amount of different artists that were in that room from camo yeah. to just it was just ridiculous i mean you have a live band too man exactly exactly it and was, it was a live band open mic it was wild and uh, and, and and you have Bhutan in the house busy selling clothes you know on spit it was just ridiculous right so so my question to you is of all these artists, of all these artists, right? Who was the most wild one? Like, who was the one that you were like, man, this homie right here? Locally or internationally? Locally first. Let's, let's let's stay with the locally first. We're gonna go international as well. You can answer for both. Let me think. Okay. Oh, that's easy. That's easy, man. Locally, the wildest. Man, that's close to home. That was. That was wild. <laughs> that was some wild nights. All right, internationally, who you got? I would say, I would say Raz Kaz was the wildest, and and, um, and we've had we've hosted all types of artists, old school, new school, um, big like artists as big as Anderson Pack, like everybody. But to me, the wildest was Raz Kaz, man. Raz Kaz, he was about partying, getting girls. Like, I mean, a lot of the dudes were, but like Raz, like, he, he was just a loud, crazy dude, man. He was cool. He was cool. Like, I would say he was, he was probably the wildest. No, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. But you know how artists are, man. We always got to let, let go when we got to let go. You can't always just be in that artist bubble. Sometimes you just got to be who you are. And that, that brings me to my next thing. As you just said, you guys have brought so many artists to Namibia. I, mm. Namibia, South Africa. You see, I'm, I've still got my head all mixed up. But you guys have brought so many artists to South Africa that nobody would have thought, like, how do you even get in touch with this person? So in that, my question is, like, how important are collaborations? Because I know a lot of this comes from collaborative work. You know, it's not 
just one person wakes up and they're like, oh, let's call up Anderson Pack and make this happen. Like, you know, so how important I mean, are collaborations to you personally? And how, just for, for the rest of the people watching this, in the industries that you have worn all these hats, how important was collaboration as an aspect? You know, I'm big on collaboration. Um, for, okay, first I'll start with like the, the events that we've done. And a lot of it started off um, before we even dealt with booking agents, we were dealing directly with artists. So people under the stairs, uh, Razkaz, Akil from Jurassic 5. Um, who else did we bring out back in the day? Um, DJ Babu, all of that was direct. So what we would do, first we got the plug from people under the stairs from a dude from Cape Town who was living in China who knew a promoter there and we got the number from them. So once we got that, then we'll Blue and Exile also directly with the manager, but that was also, we were talking to people. So Blue and Exile, oh, we brought John Robinson from um, Signs of Life. So once we brought him, he was friends with Exile. So he put us in touch with Exile. Exile uh, put us in touch with their manager. Same thing with like Razzcast. All of this stuff was like word of mouth. So once we, before us, man, it was like, the only other person that was bringing out that type of hip hop. So remember back in that those days, there weren't huge. I mean, you, you yeah. get the Jay Z sent every two or three years, but there yeah. wasn't like hip hop shows on the regular, you know, international. So Ken Stiller was kind of in the same market. He brought out like Kev Brown, um, uh, who else? A few other people. So then we started bringing these artists out. So once people kind of got the word that there's somebody in South Africa bringing out artists. And people had been wanting to come here, especially the, that that generation, that Jurassic Five, uh, Raz, Kaz, people under the stairs, cats who were in their thirties. Uh, they were still doing okay in Europe, doing some tour in the states, but they had never been to Africa. Africa, and yeah. that was bucket list. You know what I'm saying? So we got some pretty good deals. The brand was hella strong at the time, mm. so you know we, our reputation was good. Everybody came out, had a great time. We paid what we said we were gonna pay. We lost money all of those events, but we still paid what we owed. And then from there, we started slowly getting sponsorships. And then once I moved to Joburg, all the work that we put in. So with the sponsors, it was like, I remember I'd go to sponsors uh, and they'd, I'd be like, okay, cool. This is what we want to do. Yeah. And they'll be like, all right, cool. You need to show us what you can do before you before we invest. And, we're, and I'm like, well, how am I supposed to do it without the money? It's like, catch 22. And then we just did it, lost a gang of money. I went into like so much debt. Yeah. Uh, and then it took me years to pay it off. And then um, once we moved to Joburg, we had a name, and that was when modern South African hip hop started, which to me was 2011 with the drop of AKA's Victory Lap. To me, that's when modern hip hop, the, the like the the modern era of uh, South African hip hop started, and then I think it ended probably a year or two ago. But that's a, that's another conversation. So once we that happened, all the um, marketing agencies out here, yeah. all of a sudden, all their clients are like, "Yo, we need to be." Uh, aligned with hip hop because that's what the youth are fucking with. So now all these agencies, Joburg and especially in Cape Town, all these agencies are still white run. Like marketing agencies are like 80%, 90% white. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So they had no clue on what to do. So I just got in with Play Energy Drink uh, on a campaign. They brought me in as a brand ambassador for this like creative thing. So they were like, yo, we need you can you consult with us? Uh, Sprite needs us to pitch on a hip hop event. So I basically wrote the whole campaign, went with the agency into Sprite, pitched in the boardroom. I remember I was in the Coca-Cola boardroom and I was just like, yo, what's up? <laughs> he pitched the whole thing. We got it. It was like a four year deal. And through that deal, that was the collaboration because in it, I was allowed to bring out an international every year. So we did Talib Kweli, we yeah. did Pharaoh Mont, we did Mob Deep. 
Um, I think that's it. But then also with Play, we brought out Pack Div. So those are the collaborations that we did. So in those points, it wasn't even my money anymore, which is great because I didn't even have to worry about this. <laughs> like the negotiations with those artists were dope. Like, Yo, we want this amount. I'm like, all right, cool. They're that's like, yeah, we want off security. I'm like, yeah, it's cool too. Pay my money. So, um, so that's what that that's how that happened. And then with Anderson Pack, that was a collaboration with Afropunk. Um, Anderson Pack's people hit us up. Uh, they wanted to do a second show in Cape Town when he was coming out for Afropunk, we started negotiating it uh, through a partner of mine. And with that, um, I was like, yo man, does Afropunk know that we're trying to collaborate? Because I know that like people ain't gonna be, like if I'm trying to bring out an artist, if I bring an artist out to South Africa for Cape Town and Joburg, I'm not cool with a, a promoter in Durban sliding in and getting a gig. Really they can do it. <laughs> we gotta talk about it and they gotta pay for some of those international something. flights. They can contribute something, you know? I'm not paying their costs to have a, a show. So we hit up Afropunk, Afropunk's like, yo, we didn't even know about this. So I'm like, yo, well, thank God. So then we go, we have to negotiate, we have to cut them. We basically, we lose a lot because we have to give it to them. We still broke even, but we got to do a huge show. And then like, if you look at Tom Mish, Bad, Bad, Not Good, those are all collaborations I did with the Cape Town Jazz Festival because they're trying to do shows on that, the baseline stage, which is more youth oriented. So they consult with me. I give them ideas in exchange, we share the artist. So those are the collaborations like from that point. And then in terms of like personally as an artist, if you look at like my tour schedule and where I go, um, mm -hmm. like, okay, so let's look at 2019. That's Stockholm, Sweden, uh, Hamburg, Germany, Berlin, Germany, Frankfurt, Germany, uh, Amsterdam, uh, London, Paris, uh, Oslo, Norway, uh, Bangkok, Thailand, um, uh, Ivory Coast, uh, Angola, New York, uh, LA, all these different spots. And the way that I'm doing it is through like a lot of collaborations with other artists. So who's putting me on in Sweden and Norway? Got these you. two DJs that were in Joburg and someone was like, yo, you need to holler at Akio. They hit me up and I'm like, yo, let, first of all, I'll put you on my gigs. Second of all, let me talk to some people uh, um, and get you on other gigs as well. Oh, yes, yes. So the thing is, once you do that, you're spending time together, getting to know each other as artists. And on top of that, now when you come and then they get to come here and play. And now when you go to, 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 to Oslo and Stockholm, they going out of their way to introduce you to everybody. And once I get my foot in the door, all they got to do is get me a set. After that, I'm going to smash it and I'll get my other gigs after that. So you do that for all the different places in the world. And eventually you're able to put the store together. I don't have a booking agent that books all this stuff. I do all of it myself. Same thing, New York. It's a collaboration I can put on there because of everyday people who I host over here. Um, out in LA, there's this dude named Black Pages. He's trying to come out here, but he puts me on to gigs out there. There's another dude, Gamma Ray from Compton. He puts me on, got me on in San Diego because every time he comes out here, I look out for him. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the best way to do it. Hold on, hold on. This is crazy. You know what? How do you even find time to sleep, bro? That's the real question. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's one of the main things is like, that's another thing is like the whole sleep issue and like the way that you handle this job as like an artist. And it's like, from the beginning, man, like we, Cool Out has had an office. I mean, we, we just shut the one, this last one down kind of when I decided to do my own thing. Um, we had from 2013 to 2019, six years, we had an office. We, we rented space. We had space in, uh, uh, in at this ad agency. And then we moved and got our own space. And everybody, we treated it like a nine to five. It wasn't nine to five, it was 10 to three. But everybody was expected to be there every day, work on shit. You know, that's, it, get that's it the done. way you got it. Yeah, like, 
that's the only way. Like, that's what I've learned is that I have seen, I've been in this industry so long. I've worked with so many people. I've been around so many talented people. And you learn that, like, talent is important. Mm -hmm. But work ethic. I, give me somebody with work ethic over somebody with talent, man. I mean, I mean, ideally, they have both. You know what I'm saying? But I'd rather have some but, but, but we both know that most artists just don't have work ethic. They they, they yeah. have abundance of talent and they got to get that, that work ethic thrown into them or beat into them yeah. if, if need be. That's the thing. Yeah, now, now, you know, you've just taken my mind on so many different trips because... For me, collaboration is, uh, let's just, just put it out there. Collaboration is important. We, we, we all know collaboration is important. But the quality of collaborations, you know, mm. that is the other thing. So yeah. what I'm trying to get at is, were there different opportunities that you might have said, you know what, I should have taken that opportunity, but I didn't. And like in hindsight, you're like, damn, that would have been a really good one to do. And I'm asking you this specifically because it seems like you've done every fucking opportunity you could have and you grabbed everything with both hands. But is there one that you were like, at the time you were like, nah, I'm gonna pass on this. And then like looking back, you're like, fuck, that's one I should have done. Um, man, there's been a few. Let me let me think off the top of my head. Um, if I can if I can think about it. Look. I mean, one recently um, was the Tom Miss show that they did again last year, 2019, because they brought him back. We brought him here the first time in 2017, and then my, one of my business partners brought him back in 2019 with the Black Coffee Music is King thing, and he had kind of talked to me about it, about me being interested, and I was like, nah, I don't want to do it, man. I don't, I don't like doing reruns. Like, me, um, I like, you know what I'm saying? I like to do I don't like to bring, yeah. And then he, he booked me for the show, you know, out of respect. And I played at the show and it was packed. Like, yo, they made bank on it. I was like, what's wrong with doing reruns? You know what I'm saying? Like, But then know? again, you know, what, you, you you stick to your creative your, your creative limits. Not limits, but boundaries. If that's something that you've decided for yourself, like, yo, I don't do what I've already done, uh, then that's just what it is. But, but it's the whole thing about... Um, who you are as an artist. So this goes back to like what I was saying. Once I quit management, I had to figure out, and all these other DJs, I had to figure out what is my lane going to be? What is my lane going to be? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so one, I, I was like, I'm going to focus on international because I'm going to be that DJ in South Africa who's getting booked all over the world and that's going to help me here. Uh, I'm not going to like kiss ass in the industry and like do all this. I'm going I'm to be, I'm always going to have my own path. So like that's always been my thing. So from a musical point of view, I never play anything I don't like. Like I stick... Okay the shit that I, that I want to play, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, um, I, I want to have a distinct style, you know? So it's um, even like, you know, with the new school, like now my career has, in South Africa has been since 2008, so it's been 12 years. So I've seen a lot of DJs, especially from my, my era come and go, and it's like one of the main things is like from a musical point of view, yeah. it's like, don't be the old guy hating on the new shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Every generation thinks their shit is better. You know what I'm saying? Don't be your uncle when you were in the whip and you're playing your shit and your uncle's on some like, yo, what is this bullshit? Back in my day, we had real music. Real music. And that's what we talk about on 90s and 2000s shit, which is like the illest hip hop, you know? And they, they calling our shit track. <laughs> so you don't want to be that guy. Like, you don't want to be, like, you're not going to convince the youth your shit is better. 
And so my thing was like, you know what? I'm gonna fuck with all the new shit that comes out, but I'm not gonna play anything I don't like. I'm gonna listen to all the albums that come out. I'm gonna listen to the Young Thug album and I'm gonna play the Young Thug songs that I like. I don't care if it's the single or not, but I'm gonna play, I'm gonna find something on the album that I fuck with, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. So I'll listen to all of the shit and then play the stuff that I like. So I think for me, it's just like making sure that you're not that guy who you just come in and play the exact same set as the last guy, you know what I'm saying? You're just gonna come in and play all the shit that's hot right now. Anybody can play that shit. You have to have a distinctive style. So my thing is I'm gonna play the new shit, but I'm gonna play all the stuff I like. It may be bangers, it may be like like songs that aren't even singles on the album, but people are just like, yo, this is my favorite song on the album and nobody plays it, you know what I'm saying? Right. That's 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 the style you want. You wanna, you wanna be true to yourself. And and and, and that, that also brings me to another thing. How, how much do you think, because, as you said, you know, Cape Town was seen as like the hub of South African hip hop for a very long time. Mm. And then it started seeming like the more hip hop became commercialized in South Africa, the move became more to, to Johannesburg, you know? Now, yeah. or at least from an outsider's point of view, since I'm not South African, you know, sitting in Namibia, <laughs> this is how we're seeing it. So um, my question to you is in that movement, you know, and, and seeing so many rappers and creatives migrating from Cape Town to Johannesburg, did that change the sound a lot? You know, and when I say the sound, I mean the sound of music in, in general in South Africa. Has it shifted it a lot or do you think it's just a different era and, and you know, everything has its place? I think it's a different era, man. Um, I think with, with Joe, with, with the move that we did, like for us, we, we couldn't accomplish any more in Cape Town. We had gotten as high as we could get and we were still broke as fuck. You know what I'm saying? That was like the moment I was just like, you know what? Cape Town's never gonna um, allow us to succeed, man. Like our, our crowd is like, first of I mean, there's the hierarchy in Cape Town. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like yeah. We even had a brand manager tell us, uh, we were trying to, I think we we're trying to get Black Label on. And at one point, I don't know if you remember when Classics came out. Classics yeah, was like I a split. That. Was with us and Easy was with us. They started their own party. Mm -hmm. So what that did was man, that really broke uh, Cool Out uh, into like racial lines. So Classics became the colored party and Cool Out became the black party. Mm -hmm. And I remember like one of the brands we were trying to push with Black Label because we were selling so much Black Label. And the dude was like, "Yo, man, I'm gonna be honest. He's like, honestly, in Cape Town, he's like." most only parties that are really getting sponsored are white parties because they got purchasing power. He's like, yo, maybe if your crowd was colored, possibly. But he's like, yo, I'm, I'm gonna be straight up with you. Like, it's a black party. Like, there's not a whole lot of money behind it, you know? And I was like, yo, thank you for being honest. I was a colored dude. So yeah, so it, that's how it was. The thing is like, when you move to Joburg, like, the purchasing power is by black people. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, yo, don't get me wrong. White events get their thing. But like, the power, the most sought after group in Johannesburg, in the marketing agency, is like 18 to 25 black black youth. You know what I'm saying? Because that's who's it's running the show. Yeah. That's who that was. So that allowed us to do bigger things. It allowed us to have bigger parties. It allowed us to put like all these ideas that we had to like put funding behind them. And then at the time, it was also when hip hop blew up in South Africa. So again, we'll go back to that AKA thing. And I, it, I, at this time, I was uh, still managing and uh, DJing for Reason, yeah. and he was nominated for uh, Audio 3D. Um, and for a Sama. So we went to the Samas, it was my first time at the Samas. And I remember that year, it was 2012 maybe, 2012, possibly, 2013, before 2012's albums. So that year, they had this huge debate and that was the Samas were gonna eliminate the best rap category. What they were gonna do is combine it with Kwaito and it was gonna be best rap Kwaito something. 
because they're like, yo, man. Yeah, they, they were gonna eliminate the best rap uh, thing. And even before then, when they had best rap, that year and all the years before, it was on the pre-broadcast. So the Samas is, is shown live. Live, yeah. But hip hop was considered so small that it didn't even make the live telecast. You know what I'm saying? So it'd be like the best hip hop award you'd win, but it wouldn't even be on TV. You'd have to read it in the newspaper tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? So that was 2013. Cooley Chana won. And then that's when it blew up. That's when AKA blew up. That's when Cooley got even bigger. All of those things happened. So from 2013 or 2012, I can't remember, it went from being not even on the main broadcast to the next year. Not only was it on the main broadcast, but the question is, who's going to win best best artist? Yeah. Going to be a hip hop artist. So every year after that, except so from then to now, every year except for maybe one or two, best male has been rap. You know what I'm saying? Ko, aka, uh, um, did Shane even win? I can't remember. But every year it's like I that's oh, it's won, yeah. yeah, it's always like the most. In interesting battles, like who's gonna win best rap. So that's when things blew up. So I think that like, that's when hip hop got big and Cape Town, we left Cape Town. So there was really nobody holding the flag for Cape Town. Um, and, I, and, and I feel like that's what made Cape Town, Cape Town hip hop big. And also what made Durban hip hop big at the time because they had, I forgot the name of that party. Um, ah, but what we had with Cool Out was with cool, uh, um, cool Out Live and Cool Out. We had a party, a hip hop party that was on level with what Joe Berg was doing. Cool Out Live with the internationals we were doing was yeah. equivalent to Pop Bottles and Joe Berg. We had just exactly. as much butt. The only difference is they, they were a lot swaggier than us, but everybody in Joe Berg knew about Cool Out Live. Everybody in um, Cape Town knew about Pop Bottles and we were both doing parties in each other's cities. Like if we had started Cool Out Live in Joe Berg, like it would be as big as Pop Bottles. You know what I'm saying? We just yeah. were in a small market. So then once we left, there was no nationally recognized brand in Cape Town. And then Head Honcho kind of took over for a bit. But the problem with Head Honcho was it wasn't Cape Town centric. Like you can say whatever you want. Like we did bring Joburg artists down. We brought international artists down, but we were Cape Town centric. Mm -hmm. Our lineup was like one Joburg artist, one international, everybody else was Cape Town. You know, when Head Honcho started doing shit, it was like all Joburg. And then maybe they'd slide in one or two Cape Town guys. So the parties were dope but it wasn't progressing uh, the culture, the hip hop culture, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't giving Cape Town artists this big platform. So I feel like once we bounced, man, like, you know, Joburg just kind of ran with it and hip hop became big. And at the end of the day, man, Joburg, right, the national radio stations, Metro, Five, uh, Kaya, um, They're doing TV, things, man. Live, all of that is based out of Joburg. You know, if you're big in Joburg, you're big in all of South Africa. That's true. You're known in Namibia, you're known in Swaziland, you're known in Botswana, you're known in Lesotho. If you're big in Cape Town, you're just big in Cape Town. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? No, I, I hear you, I hear you, I hear what you're saying. Now, what I would like to say is, you know, that time between, let's say, between 2006, seven to about 2013, the the hip hop scene and the and, and and when I say the hip hop scene, I mean the hip hop social scene in Cape Town yeah. was massive. And I'm not just talking about the parties. I mean just people hanging out, going to neighborhood and just you know having drinks, food, everything. What do you think changed in that? People don't see that interaction between artists as much as it was. I mean, I remember sitting down with Laz Gola with with Cooley, you know, flex them with their you got two. You got two me from the volume. Everybody, 
and this is just a random Wednesday. Everybody's just chilling in the neighborhood, having some food and drinks, just shooting this shit, you know, just having some jokes. But do you, what happened? What do you think happened that changed that 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 interaction? Or do you I think, think nothing um, I think it's still the same interaction? I, I don't, man. I think there I think there is the same interaction. It's just a younger generation. So what I mean by that is, is like what I noticed is like when I used to hang out in neighborhood or all these other places that, you know, all these other like even just like the dinner parties we used to host at our place, all these other places where all these different creatives were. Yeah. All the most talented creatives from that, from okay, maybe not up until 2013, even up until 2013, 2008 to 2012, 2013, the most talented, 90% of them, where are they at now? They're all in Joburg. You know what I'm saying? Very true. Very true. They all moved They all migrated. All of them at some point reached their ceiling in Cape Town or got over it and it's like, yo, man, I'm gonna go to Joburg because there, there's infinite possibilities, you know what I'm saying? There's no limit here. So everybody kind of eventually moved. A lot of people stayed as well. So what I feel like is that there's still that 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 culture in Cape Town, but it's all kids that are like 22, 23 that you don't know, you know what I'm saying? And they're all eventually gonna move to, to Joburg, probably as well once once they hit their, their peak do you think so there will be a resurgence in cape town in cape town as as there was when you guys were there do you think there's there's, there's still enough gap for it to happen again i don't know man like i i thought so look here's a, you know i still play in cape town a lot so i uh when i'm in south africa i do three weeks in joburg one week in cape town every month so i go okay. to cape town do about four gigs uh, fly back and then and then do the rest of the, the month in Joburg and, I, and and for a while I did feel like there was a lot of things popping off because um, uh, Uppercut took over at Waiting Room was doing their thing um, then um, there are a few other spots that were kind of doing some nice things um, yours truly was doing some cool shit you know there were a few things going on you know and then it just kind of, and then I remember, uh, yeah, there are a few promoters doing the thing. And then like Uppercut and Waiting Room kind of started to fizzle out. Yours Truly kind of took over, but at the same time, there was no live platform. Uh, Coco and Gold Bar started blowing up as well, but like they're not really putting on a Cape Town artists. And then like the platforms kind of decreased. But what, the one thing I do like is like, uh, amongst the DJs and the different promoters in Cape Town, I really feel like they're not working against each other. All right. You know what I'm saying? They're like everybody's booking everybody while I think in Joburg it's much more competitive people are really working kind of against each other while in Cape Town it's, it's like more love you know what I'm saying okay, but, okay. which um, wasn't always the know. case it, I remember it wasn't always the case there were clothing labels were beefing promoters were beefing yeah. everybody was beefing at one point so, I don't mind a healthy beef. I, like I don't mind a healthy beef to push me to be more competitive you know like you know, we we had. I mean, I wouldn't say we beefed with classics, but they were definitely rivals, even though they were friends. And they pushed us, and we pushed them. And pop bottles as well. I would say Ken Zero and Party People was definitely a rival. Uh, yeah, I mean, not a rival. Like a, uh, it was competition, but it competition, wasn't. Competition, yeah. We didn't do bad. Yeah. We just wanted to be better. You know what I'm saying? So they they pushed us. Pushed us. And then even when we got to Joburg, there's music at last, and they pushed us to do better. And stuff. So uh, you know, a healthy competitions is good but like it's also good like you don't need to be like talking shit and like undermining and stuff like that which exactly. a lot of that happens. a lot of it happens way too much of that happens around and and i think just 
I don't know if it's the era we're in, but it, even in Namibia, I've seen it happen in many countries, like in the creatives I've been speaking with. It seems like a, a common thread, and I don't know why it's happening. But that aside, let's get in. Let's get into the nitty gritty. All right. Now we got to do some of the questions whereby n- none of these questions, by the way, were the ones that I'm supposed to be asking you. This is just conversational. So here comes the most important question of the interview. Like this, okay. I need you to focus, Akio. Like this is the real one. Superheroes or supervillains? Antiheroes, counter supervillains. You got to choose one category and why. Growing up, I was always a superhero guy. I cheered for the superheroes. Like I wasn't, you know, if you were to say Batman or Joker, as much as I fuck with Joker, I'm a Batman dude. You know what I'm saying? I was always like a safe day kind of uh, uh, person. You know, I think I, I never tried to be the villain. I always, always wanted to be the good guy. All right, all right, all right, all right. Good answer, good answer, good answer. I love him. Like that, that's one of the things I'll tell you, like uh, what I saw with like AKA's career, for example. Like I'm just like, yo, that dude is a WWE. He knows, he understands how to play he the heel. He understands it. Like, that dude gets it. Like half the shit he's saying, he's just saying to piss you off, you know? Like I, I, like, I dig the character that he did, you know? Yeah, Even, yeah. he's, he's a good villain. He's a good villain. I'm not going to lie. He's He he has mastered how to and, and at random it's like he can do it at the drop of a hat all right i'm gonna play the villain real quick you know <laughs> it's hilarious okay hold, hold on and then next question next question right so this one is specifically for you because you really pissed me off on instagram dude okay. with your food posts okay yeah. and it's always because of the ramen it's always yeah. the fucking ramen that you be doing but this is a question for you kimchi right yes so when I was when I was in Beijing for like the two years that I was doing my masters, I had a lot of like South Korean homies that were like, you know, exactly. like everybody's just chilling. And then I found out about like Korean barbecue. And I was like, hold on, yeah. the fuck is this thing? And then I fell in love. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Kimchi is like the crack of all crack. You know, if crack was legal, <laughs> right? How do you get your kimchi fixes in South Africa? It, all right, so out there. Yeah, it's out here. So the first thing I'll tell you about kimchi is like kimchi, for me growing up, kimchi was like the constant like point of contention between my parents. Because my father's Japanese, my mom's white. You know what I'm saying? So growing up, at no point did you ever open up my refrigerator and there's like a two liter jar of kimchi like next to the jug of milk. You know what I'm saying? And my mom used to hate that shit. I'd stink it up the house, and, and she's like, "We don't need, we don't need to have it in here." And my pops is like, "Nah." <laughs> not. And then at one point, my dad started making his own kimchi, so it was stinking up even more. Yo, my mom hated that shit. So me growing up, it took me a while, probably not till I was a little bit 10, 11, 12 before I started fucking with the kimchi. And then after that, I was on pops' side, and it was just yeah. It was over for moms, you know what I'm saying? Like she just had to, she had to take it. So in Joburg, I live close to Chinatown. So I live downtown in Mabonet. Bruma is not too far. I go there probably at least once a week, a lot of times twice a week. So I go there for a lot of different stuff. So like the groceries that I can't get, mm-hmm. um, especially even just for tofu as well, but also a lot of other stuff, man. I can show you the shit that like, just that I buy in, um, in Chinatown at the grocery stores. Cause some of them have, I get some Chinese stuff, but most of the stuff I get is Japanese and Korean because it's Korean, the yeah. most similar. And there's three spots that's slaying kimchi. So I get my kimchi there. 
you don't you don't even know how lucky you are man you you really don't know yeah. how lucky you are i haven't had ramen like proper ramen and i haven't had kimchi since 20 when he's 18 you gotta learn how to make your own man. you can make your own i like, know but it's not gonna be the but same you, <laughs> like, like chinese out there because like chinese fuck with kimchi too like you just gotta ask around Shit up, shit up. So, so for those people that don't don't know, uh, kimchi is basically fermented cabbage. It sounds weird when we say it that way, but when you eat it, it's like what? I have I had this one homie in in in, in uh, Beijing. Just a small a small insert. So he was teaching English. He was from the states. So he was there teaching English at the university that I was actually attending, and he would have kimchi with his eggs. Like that's that's literally like this man. He went so far he would not eat anything if he didn't have his kimchi. If he was eating at home, kimchi would be on it. Like that's it. There's no way around it. And but if you think about it, it could work as a substitute for Tabasco sauce. You know what I'm saying? Because it's yeah. spicy and it's even better than Tabasco sauce because you get a crunch. You know. Oh, that crunch. Okay, let's 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 move on because I know I can't get yeah. no Korean barbecue right here. So. <laughs> I'm gonna kill you, dude. Like yeah. I'm hungry now. <laughs> but you know what, man? Here's the thing: you gotta do. You gotta do it yourself, man. So what, what I say is, buy yourself like a um, one of those uh, uh, things that you can cook, like table cookers. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're shit sliced up thin, mm-hmm. and then go on to Google and, and, and check uh, YouTube on how to make a, um, a Korean barbecue sauce. In Japanese, we call it yakiniku, which acted from the Koreans. But it's basically like ginger, soy, soy sauce, a bunch of other stuff. And then just do it yourself, man. That's like how, that's how I learned how to cook. And also how my dad, uh, my, my family, my mom can't cook for shit. My dad's the cook. And the reason he could cook is because when he moved to my town in America, there was no Japanese restaurant. So if he wanted to eat his food, he had to do it himself. I don't know how I learned to cook is like all the different places I've lived in the world. Um, I like to eat good, but a lot most of the time I've been broke, so I'm like, all right, cool. I want to eat this. I'm, I'm gonna get at it. I'm gonna get at it. No, and that's the best. I mean, look, I, when I was in China, I thought I'd just be eating Chinese food the whole day, but I ended up, you know, learning how to how to, how to do my own thing with the noodles and like just you know go about it. Now, how often do you actually go to to Japan? Like, I, I know that you're based in S in SA basically all the time. So the last time I lived there was 2003. And since 2003, I've only been back once. That was 2017. Um, so so not, not as often as I want to go. And I'll tell you, it's a couple things. Like one, I, it's, it's on my list of places that I'm trying to like. So now in terms of like my international tour schedule, I've got Europe unlocked. I've got US unlocked. Obviously, I'm trying to build more on it. But it's there. You know what I'm saying? It's, 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 done, it's done. So what I've really been focusing on now is Asia. So my, my link into it is Thailand. So I went there last year. Uh, I think I did like five shows. Then I came back this year. Man, I did like 12, 13 shows in three weeks, you know? And I'm like slowly working my way up over there. And I'm trying to get to Japan. But the problem is, is with Japan, like I've got plugs. But I mean, I got people over there, but it's it's not people that are on the scene. You know what I'm saying? It's like relatives. They don't know nobody on the club scene or something like that. So a lot of the things that you do, even with Thailand, last year when I went, Yo, that was all on me. All the costs were on me. Yeah, I got some money on gigs, but like definitely not even close to what I invested into building this market. It's the same thing as Europe, where when I first started doing my Europe tour five, six years ago, I'm losing 30, 40,000 Rand every single time. And then after the fourth year, I'm breaking even. Fifth year, I'm making money. Now I've got sponsors, you know what I'm saying? I play the long game. So with with, um, Asia, Thailand is my, that's where I'm going to use, that's where I'm going to pivot from. So I'm trying to establish that. Once I get that down, 
Then I'm gonna fly there, make my money, that's gonna cover my costs. And then I'm gonna invest in Hong Kong and Tokyo, maybe Seoul. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. But the problem is why, why I decided on Thailand first is because it's the cost. Yeah. I can go to Thailand, fly to Thailand, I can get my Airbnb or my hotel, I can get around, I can buy all my food and it's cheap. Japan is expensive. For me to invest in Japan and, and still go there and hustle, not really have gigs, network, do my thing, work my way up, it's gonna cost me three times as much as Thailand. So let me let me, let me knock out Thailand first. And then from there, once I start killing the clubs in Thailand, then they're gonna put me in touch with people in Japan. So that, that's the pivot. It's crazy, it's crazy. But it is also on the bucket list. Akio, I wanna thank you for coming through. Reason I'm saying this is uh, we're at one hour, 21 minutes. We've gone okay. back. You see, I told you, I never get the 20 minutes. It never happens. But really, on the real, thanks so much. And thank you for giving us so much information. I know there's at least going to be like a lot of people out there that are thinking, damn, I need to get up off my ass and make shit happen. I mean, this man yeah. just decided and did like all of this. Like, you're making me feel bad right now. <laughs> Like that, but that was the thing I decided, man. Like I was like, yo, time's running out, man. I gotta take a chance on myself myself and I gotta like do all these things that I wanna do and don't wait for someone to book you. Like go and be aggressive, like book yourself. Like, you know, like you know, you know who you know who actually kinda laid this blueprint for me was like black coffee. For real. Like that dude before how, how big he was now. I'm not even saying I'm trying to be that big, but that dude was doing the Europe things, yeah. breaking even, losing money for years before he broke up, establishing this network, and that's what it takes. People are like Oh man, like how do you how do you get booked in in Paris and shit like that? And I'm like, yo man, I put in the hours. Like I spent time out there, you know. Like you you based in Pretoria, they ain't just gonna find out about you on your own. <laughs> Don't wait for them to book you. Meet exactly. people, do the things. You know? Exactly, yeah. and that's and that's exactly what we're talking about. It's that type of sacrifice to be like, okay, look, this is my game plan. How much am I willing to let go of in order to get to that goal? You know, no, am I done. willing to lose 30,000 every time I'm doing a show that side? Because I know two more years and they're going to be pushing all that money back on me and I ain't got to pay for my plane tickets or anything else. No more out of pocket. So it's, it's, it's about the sacrifices as well. So like if you're doing well as an artist, you're making money. That's one of the things that I noticed that like I see it was a downfall for a lot of people. Is that they weren't reinvesting uh, in themselves. You know what I'm saying? And that's like every money I make, I'm putting something aside for the next tour that I'm trying to do, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. Like, if I go to the club, you know, I get my bottle for playing or whatever, I'm not trying to buy an extra one or something. You know, I'm not spending money on useless ass shit to impress people, or I'm not, you know, I cook a lot, I'm not going out. Like, all this, like, money is, like, kind of going to the side, you know what I'm saying? Like, when I bought a car, I bought it cash money so I don't have these monthly fees. Like, all of these different things you have to think about. And the best investment you can ever make is yourself. And, you know, if you're not growing, and you're not expanding your shit, man. Someone else is gonna come through, younger, more in tune with like what's happening, and they're gonna take your spot, man. Like our industry is cutthroat; they forget about you quick. quick. Like, hip hop is not like rock and roll. Rock and roll, they'll remember you forever. You can do <laughs> shit. Hip hop, once you out of step, it's a wrap. Nothing more than an ill-conceived fantasy. You see, I constantly think about one, yet seem to dream about another, making it almost impossible to visualize myself being with.